where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. First and foremost, they do not determine the sincerity of my religious beliefs. Only Jesus does. And so, ultimately, Jesus is my judge, and Jesus is my king. So Western has no authority to determine whether or not my beliefs are sincere. And I think that I speak for other students when I say that Western has far overstepped they should be in terms of the bodily autonomy and the religious beliefs of their students. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and today I am joined by James Kitchen and Aiden Haskell. And what we have to share with you today is a special legal update. You would have potentially seen the email if you're on our email list. If you're not on our email list, you need to go to libertycoalitioncanada.com in order to stay in touch with all of our initiatives, and particularly our legal initiatives. Today, we're talking about Western University and their treatment of students. Of course, Western has been in the headlines for the last number of weeks because of their um, booster policy. And today, James and Aiden are here to tell you about our legal action against Western University. So, James, can you just quickly, for everybody, go over the details of the case and then we want to get to Aiden's story because this is really what we're trying to highlight right now is the way that this in these incredible um, overreaching policies are just ignoring the students flat out. That's right. You know, obviously, um, lawyers like me and uh, Lisa Bildi, who's, who's bringing that other challenge against Western and a lot of other lawyers who actually care about individual rights in this country would say, look, this is a gross violation of rights of bodily autonomy, of privacy, etc." That's the mandate itself. The secondary problem we have here, of course, is there are laws in place in this country that hold a quasi-constitutional status that say people need to be treated equally, even if they can't do things that other people can because of their protected characteristics, physical disability, mental disability, religion, race, gender, etc. right? So what's happening is that Christians are coming in, Christian students are coming in and saying, I can't take this shot. It violates my religious beliefs. It violates my conscience. Right? I've heard from the Holy Spirit. I've read the scripture, scriptures. It's wrong to put this in my body. I can't take it. So that is my religious belief. Religion is a protected ground of the characteristic uh, in, the, in the human rights code. I need to be accommodated. Please accommodate me. Right? And of course, you know, universities are always crowing about how they want to uphold human rights, except for, of course, when it comes to Christians. And sure enough, what Western is doing, like many other universities, are saying, no, we're not going to accommodate you. Uh, we, don't, we don't recognize any duty to accommodate your religious beliefs. Um, we think your beliefs are too singular and personal, or we think now that they're they're too um, they're too shared by other people. Therefore, they must not somehow be uh, legitimate. And so, no, we don't care. We're going to deny all these requests, and we're just not going to accommodate you. We don't care what our human rights obligations are. So, what you have is all these Christians who are saying, "Well, I guess I'm a second class citizen now. I guess I I can't go to school because the only way I could is if I violate my beliefs and if I'm treated unequally." That's what this is about, right? And so uh, Liberty Coalition Canada has representing now, at, uh, at this point, five students who um, 
are going to do whatever they can to stay in school, uh, not take the shots, not violate their religious beliefs, and hopefully, you know, not get kicked out. And whatever legal action we have to take to make that happen, um, we're going to we're going to do it to try to keep these students uh, living according to their beliefs and being treated equally and staying in school. So today, folks, we get to have Aiden Haskell on the program, and um, Aiden, I'm I'm excited to hear your story because really we want to hear from you students. So why don't you share with us a little bit about your journey and what has brought you to be a part of this uh, lawsuit, this case? Yeah, for sure. And thank you very much for for having me on today. Uh, it's a real honor. So thank you. Um, so. I am in my fourth year of engineering at Western, and I am part of what I guess some would label as the COVID generation. So I was in my first year when everything transitioned online. And then for me, second year was completely online. And then it was the summer between second year and third year when Western decided to go ahead with the original vaccine mandate. And that was the requirement of two doses. And I did comply with that. I did get the two doses. And I think part of that was because I was hoping that by just getting the two doses, it would go away. Um, and then I really also felt like I didn't have much of a choice in the matter. So I held out until late September, until the very last minute, but I did get the two doses. Um, and then moving forward in the summer between uh, third year and fourth year, again, Western said that they were going to implement the booster mandate. And so that brings me to where I am today, where I uh, applied for an exemption to receive the booster. And the email that I received from Western in response to my exemption request, I'll just read a section of it because I have it here in front of me, says, the documentation submitted does not establish the existence of grounds for an exemption for the requirement to be vaccinated based on creed or religion. And specifically, it does not establish that you are precluded from being vaccinated as the result of your sincerely held religious beliefs. And I really dislike that Western would say that because first and foremost, they do not determine the sincerity of my religious beliefs. Only Jesus does. And so ultimately, Jesus is my judge and Jesus is my king. So Western has no authority to determine whether or not my beliefs are sincere. And I think that I speak for other students when I say that Western has far overstepped where they should be in terms of the bodily autonomy and the religious beliefs of their students. So just a few things I want to comment on just to draw draw our listeners into the conversation. So first of all, uh, Western's letter to Aiden, um, according to uh, any other, and James, jump in here if, if I get anything off, but you and I have talked about this so much. I just want to, I want to go from my layman side of things. Judgment, uh, Western's letter to you, um, number one, uh, just continues to be in uh, a violation because, of course, it it has it, it's an assertion. It's not an argument that they assert to you that your letter does not have any uh, any grounds, but they give you no they give you no evidence as to why your sincerely held beliefs are insincere. Second of all, as Aiden mentioned, everybody, this is just overreach. This is just irresponsible governance on the part of the school. It ignores constitutional freedoms. It, it ignores someone's self-declared belief. It's absurd on its face to say to somebody, uh, 
we, we don't believe you about your beliefs and therefore you have to take this medicine. And I just want to give a, an anecdotal story to that. It's a really quick one, right? So uh, mom walks into doctor's office, mom walks into doctor's office with baby. Mom says to the doctor, please let me know about these 15 medications, whether you recommend them or not. Doctor says to mom, I only recommend these three Never in Canadian history is the doctor then turning around saying, so you have to take all three. Like, it, it, this, is, this is just, this, we're not talking about um, something arbitrary. We're talking about them forcing students to put something into their body against their consciences. And so, so this is unprecedented in Canadian history. And it, it's just, uh, you know, Aiden, I'm sorry that you're going through it. Let, let, so let's just talk about it right at the beginning. Let's just get, let's just get the big elephant in the room out. You are one of these students that, according to your own words, you felt coerced to take the first two. So people now are like, are saying, well, Aiden, what's changed? What, what's the, what's the, what's the big deal about taking the third? Why don't you just walk through what, what, what you're thinking about and what the other students are thinking about? Because you're, you're in a unique situation. There are some students who said, I'm not doing it. There's many students like yourself who said, oh, this is so hard. I just got to get it off my back. And now you're in this situation. Why have you said, as the Western uh, Twitter account, uh, student account, enough is enough? Why have you said enough is enough? Yeah, I think it's an excellent question. And for me, I do think that Looking back on the decision I made to get the first two doses, I think there, part of me isn't too proud of it, really, because I do think there was a bit of cowardice in that decision on my part. And so now, as, as I reflect on that, and as I look forward as, as a Christian, I, I want to set myself apart for Christ. And obviously, in, in places like Second Timothy, chapter 3, where it talks about if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. So I'm not, I'm not here trying to pretend like I'm a victim. I, I praise God that he's put me in this opportunity to, to have this position where I can speak and hopefully um, ultimately bring people to know Jesus. But I, I think that as I look back on the decision I made to get the first two doses, I think that it was in a place of fear and a place of cowardice, as I said. And so now I want to change that moving forward. So Aiden, you know, I think James and I certainly commend your honesty there. James, I want to go to you and ask you a question about this. So there, there's a few things going through through my mind right now. So number one, a part of the Christian faith is repentance. So it is, it is, it is, a, it is actually a sincerely held religious belief to say, I made a sinful mistake. And, and, and Aiden, when you use the word uh, cowardice, uh, when you use the word acting in fear, like we see uh, immediately in my mind, I thought of, you know, the disciples all departing from Jesus um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I see um, Peter, um, uh, you know, under a little bit of pressure saying, no, I don't know him. Like it, it's, it, I see, I, we look at history and we see Christians all throughout any type of authoritarian rule where Christians at one point go, you know, I, I caved and then they, they, they repent and then they, then they are the ones who stand up courageously. So, so two things. Number one, Aiden, thank you for sharing that. And, and we totally understand that all of us are sinners and make mistakes. Thank you for sharing that. But James, can you comment legally on that? Because even within 
your religious your 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 religious beliefs specifically here as a Christian, Aiden ought to be able to actually say the first one was a mistake. I feel that religiously. The second one would be another mistake. And so I'm I'm repenting of the first and I'm and I'm taking my stand now. Like that's all rooted in that connection between his conviction of scripture, his conviction of conscience, uh, leading by the Holy Spirit, all of those types of things. Like even if he just wanted to say, I, I want to take a stand to be courageous. Like I, I like even if it, it you know, the the limits to his medical information were there, but he just said, no, here's a moment in time where I believe that I religiously need to be courageous. Comment on that, James. Well, you know, part of the problem, of course, is that Christianity generally is is, in, is often incomprehensible to, to the secular world, to the secular mind. And um, it's, that's easily resolved if we have certain legal parameters in place that say, look, it's not the judge's job to understand Christianity. It's the judge's job to understand religious freedom. And yes, our concept of religious freedom in the West is informed by Christianity. How could it not be? Of course it is. But um, – and that's what you see. The, the case that I always cite in this situation is Absalom. It's from 2004, um, <clears throat> back when the Supreme Court still had some respect for religious freedom. Of course, it's lost a lot of that with the Trinity Western fiasco. Uh, but it said back then, look, um, all we need to determine is, is, is this person, does this person actually believe this? Are, are they making it up or do they actually believe it? And it's very rare that people make up religious beliefs, okay? That, that's very rare. Okay, we see a lot of allegations of that with this whole COVID thing, but that's not actually happening because people don't actually do that. Okay, and then we say, is it connected to Christianity? Is there a nexus with religion? Is the legal term? Well, that's not that difficult to establish, and it's not exactly a really high threshold either. You point to some scriptures, you point to some doctrines, you show that yeah, this is a part of Christianity for the last two thousand years, and as you just said, repentance is right. So. In Christianity, I mean, maybe other religions are different, fine, but in Christianity, if you've done something before that you now recognize is wrong, you feel that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of it, you've read the scriptures, you've said, this was wrong, I'm not going to do it again, then the fact that you did it before is actually legally irrelevant. Because what matters is what are your, what are your relevant beliefs now, and what are your beliefs about being about saying no to something that you said yes to before? And, and Christianity, maybe it's unique this way, but, but Christianity is actually totally all about that. It's all about saying... I'm going to say yes to Jesus now. I'm going to say no to what those things were before. And now I'm doing this, right? And then the question becomes, well, do we have beliefs about the COVID vaccine? And the answer to that is yes. And his beliefs are, the, are going to be very similar or the same to yours and mine and the thousands of other Canadians, the hundreds of other uh, uh, Christian students who have said, no, I can't put this in, in my body for reasons X, Y, Z, and, and A, right? And so um, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, the response to this is almost always, well, we don't believe you, you're not Christian enough, or this doesn't match up with Christianity or whatever, right? All these, all these very strange, bizarre, arbitrary excuses that make no sense. Um, if this was legally making sense, if we were to go back four years to back when, when we had some semblance of the rule of law, the response of Western would not have been that. It would have been, yeah, you know what, we recognize your religious beliefs, but, um, you know, it's going to be undue hardship on us. You're going to come in and make everybody sick. And, you know, we just want to able to accommodate you. And that's actually a legally justifiable defense. But you never see that asserted, right? Which tells me two things. One, they know they can't defend that because they know scientifically, biologically, that's just absolutely not true. We all know that, right? Only those who have dug their head into the sand so far they can't pull it out still can't acknowledge and admit to themselves and everybody around them that these things do not work 
for the purpose that underlies the mandate, which is stopping infection and transmission. They do not do that. So they're not defensible in law or in science. So what does what do people do? What does Western do? They say, well, we don't think you've even triggered our duty to accommodate because you're not even the Christian you say you are. Right. What does that show? That shows that shows an insidious level of contempt for Christianity, for Christians, for these people, for these students to say to them. I mean, Aiden, Aiden, Aiden said it right there in layman's terms. You don't get to say if I'm a Christian or not or, or if my beliefs are legitimate or not. That's between me and Jesus. Clearly, I'm sincere. If you're saying I'm not, you're, 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 just, you're just blowing hot air, obviously, right? And that's what this is. This is, this is Western trying to get away from what it can't defend by making, by making the gross allegation that these people are just making it up and that they don't actually believe what they say they believe, which just shows how much they hold in contempt Christianity, these Christian students, and their human rights obligations. So, Aiden, why don't you share with us a little bit about kind of, I, I want to say word on the street, word on campus. You know, um, we've seen in Twitter recently enough is enough grow we've seen a protest on campus it seems pretty evident that many students are bothered by this policy can you share with us about uh, you know what other people are going through and and kind of word on the campus yeah for sure and just to jump on to james's point there i do think it's interesting that i don't know many people who would have an insincere religious belief, but be willing to jeopardize their school. So that to me is a pretty good indication that it's actually legit. But I think I, I'm fairly connected with other students who uh, are Christians or just believe that what Western is doing is wrong. And I would unfortunately say that it is almost an underground movement. It's not really talked about publicly. And I think that it uh, it goes back to people just wanting to comply and, and get along with things because it's easier, ultimately. And I understand that because because I've been there. Um, and even with the vaccine, ultimately, I think for every Christian, it is a conscience issue. It's not something that I would want to say, you can't get the vaccine if you're a Christian, because I do think that it has to be a conscience issue in that way, because scripture is not clear on it necessarily. But I would also say for a Christian who is deciding what they should do. I, I felt that when I decided to set myself apart, I was standing with others who I, ha who I believed had sincere faith in Christ. And those are the people who I want to surround myself with. Those are ultimately my people, are those Christians who are willing to be persecuted. And so I think that we are a small group, but as my father likes to say, one of his favorite leaders started with 12. You know what? So I wasn't going to bring up your dad right yet because i you know who wants to talk about your dad on a podcast but of course uh your father david has been uh, another voice within the academic world that has been so very helpful i remember the first time i interviewed your dad way back and i was so encouraged by his integrated worldview and and when you talk about students who just want to keep their head down and comply, the reality is, is what, what, what that naturally does to the person is it separates their beliefs from their actions. And of course, we, you know, the, the furthest extreme of that is lying, is fraudulent behavior, is duplicity. But the, the I would say that maybe the less defined avenue 
that that is created there is a pathway of confusion where it's like you know just this morning i was listening to a sermon where someone was talking about your actions matching your beliefs and so um it's a really bad habit and this is the way that authoritarianism compromises so many christians and so uh, your dad has been uncompromised and uh, we appreciate him so much and again guys this, this is a christian virtue look the son is now following in the father's footsteps and and aiden i'm sure that there was moments where your dad was like aiden what the heck are you doing just taking those two things just to get along um maybe you and him never had that conversation but it, it's actually a testimony to your family and it's a testimony to the sincerity of your held beliefs you come from a christian home with a dad who's publicly outspoken about these matters and integrates his worldview into his academics there's there's absolutely no defense here for what western has written to you and so aiden you know we're thankful that you're on with us today we're thankful that you're going to be one of the students that we're representing and um, i'm just going to be praying for you and praying godspeed for this case I know that you have to head off to class now, maybe one of your last classes. And uh, certainly, maybe after this podcast airs, it definitely becomes one of the last classes because the academic world uh, has not liked anyone speaking out. Before we let you go, I'm going to read for you guys um, something um, off of the um, Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario website. And it has to do with pandemic-related practice issues. And Aiden, I'm going to give you a chance to comment on this as someone who's just applied to Western for an exemption. But this is what they say. They say this, um, generally speaking, there are very few acceptable medical exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccination. Um, given the rarity of these exemptions, in the light of the fact that the vaccines have been proven to be both safe and effective, any notes written for patients who qualify for a medical exemption need to clearly state, and they, they give their the following. They go on to say, it is also important that physicians work with their patients to manage anxieties related to the vaccine and not enable avoidance behavior. So it's the responsibility of the physician to not let you avoid the vaccine. But then listen to this, it goes on. In cases of serious concern, responsible use of prescription medications and or referral to psychotherapy are available options. Overall, physicians have the responsibility to allow their patients to be properly informed about vaccines and not have these anxieties empowered by an exemption. They're saying that if you ask for an exemption and you get one, you're empowered to have avoidance behavior and empowered to manage your own anxieties. Aiden, as a young person in Ontario, how does that make you feel and, and how would that relate to the Western situation? Yeah, well, that's pretty shocking. That's the first I've, I've heard about that. So that is really just... That's pretty crazy, to be to be quite honest. But I would say that obviously, as a student at Western, that has ramifications on me. But 
I would say, if I could just kind of close with this, I would just turn to, to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely on my account against you. And then he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. So when I read that, I see that my Savior is telling me that when they try and kick me out of university, I'm supposed to run around the corner and do a little jig. So I see this as an opportunity to bring glory to God. It, uh, it looks bad right now, but I think we've got them right where we want them. So I, uh, I really appreciate the time, and I appreciate the question. All right. So everybody, uh, we really need you to support students like Aiden. He is off to his class, and it could be literally his last class this week. Um, because of course our 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 our, our centralizing and, and promoting what's going on is going is going to bring repercussions upon Aiden. And so uh, Aiden, thank you very much. But if you've heard this story, uh, part of the reason, of course, why James and I are doing this is because we need your financial support to come in and in order to take on these legal cases so young folks like Aiden don't have to pay for it themselves. James, so thanks for being on, Aiden, and uh, go have a great class. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, James, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. Uh, <laughs> I never get that right the first time I read it out. And now on the website, they've actually taken it back to the acronym, and I'm having a hard time finding the full title. It's interesting that <laughs> maybe they want a little bit more privacy. but. Um, the, that's literally on the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario website. I have I have some very good comments about that. Um, I I just got to say I'm 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 really amazed about you know Aiden and where he's at and what he said and uh, you know that really um, really excites me and encourages me that um, you know there's there's young people like him. I mean they they they've gone through way more than they should ever have to at this age in life, but um to, to come out where he is now and to to be that brave and that honest um and i just think that's amazing uh you know i don't i don't normally get emotionally touched by things as people know if they know me but that really that really hit me um you know that is that is why i do what i do is, is for is for people like that so this college of physicians and surgeons thing what i what one of the things that i find is is um really important and also you know, very concerning is the fact that you saw how surprised Aiden was. Now, clearly, we heard him. We were articulate. He was. He's obviously a smart guy. He's young, but he's obviously a smart guy. Okay. He was shocked by what he heard. Okay. And you seem a little surprised by what you heard. And neither one of you have like, you know, heard this before or think this is par for the course. Let me tell you, everything you just read is par for the course. It doesn't surprise or shock me. It barely, it barely gets my attention. That's what I've been dealing with for the last two and a half years. And this is the problem, is that the average Canadian is ignorant of how this stuff works. And I don't mean that in the insulting way. I just mean to point out the reality is the average Canadian, even the average intelligent, decently informed one, like you and Aiden, have no idea how these colleges function, right? How they say the stuff they do and the power they hold and, and, and um, the way that they control the professionals that control our society and influence our lives. Uh, the public has no idea, and this is a problem, right? It's look if you're 
ignorant people are easy to control, are easy to scare. This is, this is to me, one of the fundamental problems in Canada is we are so ignorant about our court system, about how our professionals are controlled by the government, right? We're so ignorant about all these things that, that are the structural systemic things driving the COVID tyranny, right? This to me as a lawyer, I have a bunch of clients facing this all the time. They can't get medical exemptions. Why? The doctors, some of them, they tell their patients, I can't. The college will take my license away. I'd love to give you an exemption. I know the shots are crap. I can't. My mouth is taped by the CPSO. My hand is controlled by the CPSA, which is the one in Alberta. I can't help you. I can't do my job as a doctor because the government controls me. So, so James, here, here's the question I have for you, because the difficulty that I have, okay, so you and I first started talking about the CPSO when they initially brought out their gag order and that you know that was in response to a number of physicians speaking out and then there's there was like literally the nurses went and then the college of physicians and surgeons went and they they put a gag order on 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 these things here's what i'm struggling with in in that paragraph I feel like you give me eight hours, no legal expertise at all, and just parsing out the grammar and the absurdity of the argumentation within the statement. So physicians have a responsibility to allow their patients to be properly informed about vaccines. Okay, stop. Okay. Within that argument, within that premise, is a following premise that is implied. And the implication is, is that if they're informed about that and they don't want to take it, then physicians are also responsible for letting them have their own medical freedom. Like that's the implied argument in the first part of that sentence. It makes no sense if it doesn't imply that information then could lead to me having a decision about my own health. If there was no decision about my own health, then the need for informing me is absolutely gone. So right there you have, first part of the sentence, physicians have a responsibility to allow their patients to be properly informed about, about vaccine, boom, implied second thought, so that they can make a conscientious decision, okay? Now, then the second part of the sentence is, and not have those anxieties, so again, now they're, now they're referring back to the sentence up uh, earlier about anxieties, empowered by an exemption. So the second sentence says um, they're responsible to have them informed, but then the second sentence says it makes no sense at all because it says that an exemption empowers anxiety. So there's only one choice here. So you give me no legal expertise, you give me no you know precedent, and I look at that and I say that sentence is absurd, absurd grammatically. Because you cannot have the responsibility to inform about vaccines so that people have free choice and then call, even if the choice is made because of anxiety. That's the very reason why I wouldn't want to take something is because I'm anxious about taking it. Hey, go shoot heroin. Like, I no, I don't take, I don't take heroin because I'm anxious about getting hooked on it. J James, let me just follow my absurd logic. Let, let me, this absurd illustration a little bit further before I let you get into it. I've been tempted to take heroin. I've been tempted to snort cocaine. I've been tempted. 
there's been times in my life where I've said, I wonder what psychedelic drugs are like. If someone were to say to me, you don't have, you don't need to have any anxiety about overdose. You don't need to have any anxiety about addiction. And you don't need to have any anxiety about shooting yourself with a needle. I might have in my past considered taking hard drugs. It is the very anxiety that I have about becoming an addict, about having an overdose. By the way, that anxiety in this moment is a healthy trigger. It is a healthy fear. It's a healthy wisdom. It is all, it it is actually really good anxiety that keeps me and then my family, because I teach them not to pursue that, off of hard drugs. And they're saying we don't want to empower any type of anxiety in the person by giving an exemption. So what they're saying in the sentence is you're generally supposed to inform them, but you shouldn't empower them by giving them an exemption. That in of itself is a declaration against medical freedom. James, how is it? So here's my question for you. That's a really long preamble up to this question. So the first time we started talking about the CPSO, we read the statement that they made and it was absurd scientifically, experientially. They had no evidence for what they said. Now I'm reading this and it's actually talking openly about medical coercion. How is it possible that we're not winning these things in court? Well, because the judges have the same worldview as those who run the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. But worldview right? aside, which is the same worldview. How can you say medical freedom equals medical coercion? I don't care if you're a slime ball judge that just wants to make money. You logically, you under any type of intelligent scrutiny, you can't uphold that sentence. It has to be absolute fraud for them to not be prosecuting these people. You know, the phrase for it, Michael, is results-oriented decision-making. Okay? Okay. I, uh, when, I, when, I was a, when I was a bright-eyed law student, uh, in the tiny little province of New Brunswick, I was in uh, I was in third year law school, and I decided I wanted to take a, a sort of an apprenticeship or internship at the Court of Appeal of New Brunswick, uh, because it's in Fredericton where I was going to law school. And um, so I got to work with a, a justice, a judge of the Court of Appeal of New Brunswick. And lo and behold, lucky me, I only got to work on three cases in the whole semester. One of the cases was what I call a license plate case, okay? Uh, some of you be familiar, there's personalized license plates. You can put whatever you want on there until the government censors you and takes it away or says, no, you can't put it on there. But the whole idea is to be able to express yourself through your license plate. You can choose those six or seven little letters and numbers and you can spell something out really cool, like Batman or something. Um, and we got a case where a lawyer who's like in his 80s, he's like, he's like been practicing for 50 years. He's a criminal defense lawyer. He specializes in driving under the influence, DUI. And he had, he had nicknamed himself Dr. DUI, okay? Because he was like the DUI guy in New Brunswick, okay? He won the DUI cases, those who were charged for whatever, for driving under the influence of alcohol. He put Dr. DUI on his license plate, okay? 
And actually, there's this funny story about how the, the cops stole one of his license plates off his vehicle while he's parked in the courthouse parking lot. And he caught them and came out and, and they did, couldn't take the other one. Anyway, so there's a court case. In this case, um, this case comes to the Court of Appeal and I get to work on it, which is wonderful because I'm already, you know, starting to fall off with free speech. And this is what I think I want to do with my career. And the judge, she looks at me and she says, I know where I want to go with this case. I just need to figure out how to get there. And I didn't know what to call that at the time. But I remember thinking in my head, sitting in her office, I can't believe I just heard what she said. And I know that the world's not perfect. Not everybody's idealistic and ethical and honest and wants to do what's right. And, and, and I know not everybody, you know, abandons their politics at the door to make sure that they follow the truth. But my God, I can't believe I just heard what I heard. This is what I'm getting into. And I realized later on what that's called is results-oriented decision-making, which means we already know what we want to decide. We just need to figure out how to window dress it enough to get away with it. And that's, that's what is running most of the decision makers in our society. That's what they're running with. This isn't just judges. These are people at every echelon of power. The colleges, the bureaucracy, the tribunals, the courts. This is how most people are making decisions in this nation. Okay, I'm not saying this theoretically. I, I have experienced it. For the last five and a half years, I've been practicing the law. The last two and a half years, I've been practicing law in the era of COVID. This is what I've seen over and over and over and over. I've seen it enough to be able to say this is how most decision makers operate. That's really sad. That's, re that's really wrong. Um, that's exactly opposite to how it should be, right? It, that's, that's the opposite of following the evidence where it leads. That's the opposite of finding the law, right? If you go back to these, these honored people like Lord Denning, you wouldn't know who that is, but every law student would. Um, you know, Lord Denning is the type of guy that would say, you know, we find things in the law based on our reason and following the facts and following all of our principles and ideas that have been laid down for a thousand years in the English heritage. We find in the law, right? We, we, we unearth it. We discover it. We don't make it up. We find it through reason and argument and evidence and seeking the truth. And that is the heritage of our system. Right. Um, but we we've almost entirely left that heritage behind, at least in some areas of the law, especially in the area of COVID. And so this is how you get to a position where you have the most powerful um, uh, medical regulatory body in the country, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, making the demonstrably false statement on their website to millions of people in Ontario that the, that the vaccines are safe and effective. I mean, think about the mental gymnastics you have to put yourself through to say that. You're either woefully, willfully ignorant, or you know what you're saying is false, and you don't care because you got an agenda, you got a goal, you got some kickback, you got whatever that's motivating you to do this, and you just don't care about what's ethical, right, or truthful. You're just going to do whatever you want, because you have the power to do it and because it's going to make you feel good and because you're going to get some benefit that you want out of it. That's where we're at in this society now. This episode is brought to you by Rocklink Investment Partners. The team at Rocklink, as we all know them and love them, does not support a woke Marxist WEF friendly cancel culture worldview. And they've created the Kokomo Fund, 
In light of bank accounts being seized and frozen during the Emergencies Act, or its former truer name, the War Measures Act, Rocklink can help you move your investments overseas based on in the Cayman Islands, the world's number one offshore market for investment funds. Give the freedom lovers at Rocklink a call, as many of our staff have, at 905-631-5462, or send them an email at info at rocklink.com. That's info at rocklink with a C dot com. I want to talk just still on that website a little bit because uh, I want to point out something that I skipped over earlier. The first sentence that I read, generally speaking, there are very few acceptable medical exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccination. Folks, I just want you to remember that they've changed the definition of what a medical exemption is. What a medical exemption used to mean in Canada was, I don't want to take it because I don't want it. Because my health is my health. Um, I don't want to take it because I've done some research and I'm concerned about any type of these things. A medical exemption used to mean, leave me alone. I, I've seen, I, you've, offered me a, you've offered me a medicine and I am now choosing to refuse it for any hundred of uh, various reasons. What they've taken it to is when they say a very few acceptable, acceptable medical exemptions, what they've changed that definition by using the same words, but adding that phrase acceptable in, uh, out of, adding that adjective acceptable, what they've done is they've said a medical exemption is something that is granted to someone based upon whether they agree with our standards of the exemption, meaning that you have to stand in line and prove your case that there's there's actually something medically wrong with you. And it's like combining the cocktail of two things. No, I've got this thing, so I can't take that thing. And so they've just taken, and if you, you apply this across the board, can you imagine how our society will change if your doctors get to decide everything you do medically based upon whether they decide it's acceptable or not. Yep. Uh, James, yep. Do you want to comment on that? You know, it's even worse than that because ultimately it's not individual doctors using their clinical judgment. It's ideologically right. motivated bureaucrats who right. hold those doctors hostage who will actually That's decide. Yes. Right? So you that's 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 what's going on. I mean, it's already happening. Um, I mean, we're just it's going to take a little while for, for it to filter down so everybody sees the effects of what's happening. But what's what's happening is that Canadian society is held hostage to a few technocrats and bureaucrats sitting at a desk exercising their 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 power and furtherance of their ideology to control the lives of Canadians. And they're doing it through pulling the puppet strings on, on, on the thousands or tens of thousands of professionals that they control. How do they control them? Of course, well, because they can take away their license and their livelihoods, and most people are too cowardly to risk that in order to stand up for what's what's right and true, right? This goes back to everything I've, everything I've said about the professional class in Canada as a, as a whole is, is, is a problem because of the cowardice that's, that's festering there. Um, this, yeah, this, this is where we're at. It's, it's not even that um, you have you have you have doctors you know exercising way too much control over their patients through clinical judgment. It's it's worse than that. It's deeper than that. 
it's more centralized than that, which is a problem, right? The more centralized, I mean, I, I know this goes back to really basic, basic stuff, right? But this is why you learn about how evil Marxism is in, in, in grade 11 social studies, if you, if you go to at least a private school, um, is because the centralization of power always results in human suffering. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, whatever, use whatever, Venezuela, use whatever example you want. The more power is centralized, the more humans suffer and the less free they are. This is the very core idea that the founding fathers of the freest nation to ever be on earth was batting around in their heads 250 years ago. How do we guard against the, the long term? How do we guard against the centralization of power? Recognizing that is the greatest evil to plague mankind. Okay, besides natural evil, like, you know, natural disasters. What is the greatest evil that plagues mankind? The centralization of power in the hands of a small number of individuals. That was their entire motiv motivation for creating, for creating the greatest political document ever created in the history of mankind. Okay? The separation of powers. In Canada, you do not have the separation of powers. You have the centralization of power. What does that result in? Evil and human suffering. As, as we're seeing, as we saw today with Aiden, as, we, as, as we've seen for the last two and a half years with students, and workers and regular people. That's, that's, I know I, the problem is that this is Saheti. I know this is difficult for people to, to wrap their heads around, but this, this, this is the fundamental problem at the bottom of all of this. The fundamental problem is the, is the, is the Marxist idea of the centralization of power. Okay. And that, that's, that's how you get what you're, what you're reading, right? Cause nobody can hold the CPSL accountable. I can sue them all I want in the courts. Am I likely to get a fair shake? No, I'm not. I mean, I'm going to sue them anyways. Of course, I mean, I, I, I have. I've already sued them. But, but um, I don't expect to get a fair shake, which is sad. But, but, but that's that's the reality. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna fight anyways. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna die screaming truth from the from the from the rooftops. Um, but the, yeah, this this is the problem. Is there's no accountability when there's that much centralization of power. They can say all they want on their website that the, that the vaccines work, and we know they don't, and they can get away with it. I had a thought this morning and I'm likely going to tweet it out, but never before have I realized how law protects us from each other and from our government. Like, I don't think the average individual really understands that, that the reason why God gave us law was to protect us from each other and to protect us from abusive government. So from each other when some of us have power and others don't. It is only the rule of law that allows both the individual to be, to you know, because I'm thinking, James, as, as you were talking there, on one hand, we are promoting radical individualism. And what I mean by that is, you just look at history, and all throughout history, get control of the mob by by punishing the mob and centralizing power. That's literally the easiest human thing to do. And it's the most natural thing to do in a sinfully corrupt world. I want to organize people? Great. Okay, centralize power and tell them to do what they're told. So on the one hand, when you're speaking, James, I'm thinking, man, we promote radical individualism, like outstanding 
individualism. When you think of the U.S. Constitution and you talk about it the way that you just did and the Declaration of Independence, that was an outrageous individualism that they were promoting. <laughs> then while you were talking, I'm also thinking though, but radical individualism is leading people to say that they're a guy is a girl and that you should take your kids to a restaurant and have your kids, you know, have him do erotic dances in front of your children. Law is the like the like real biblical law is the only thing that protects me from you and from my government and from the crazy individual radical but at the same time upholds that to a level that allows me to be a virtuous individual it, it, it's 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 just striking me again how much we need the rule of law. This is why, Christians, you have to get this right. Jesus saves you from your sin because you have confessed your sin and you agree with God you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior, and he died on the cross for you. But in order to declare and define sin, in order to say to society, this is sin, this is not, this is what government should punishment punish, this is what government should leave alone to the individual. You must define sin and you must define the parameters of government by the biblical law or else there will be another law to replace it. And this has been the, the most divisive. It's going to continue to be the biggest division in the church in the upcoming years because, again, we have forgotten the gift of God in giving us law to protect ourselves from one another and from our government, and we've, we, we, you know, we've, we've done this whole, let's just focus on the gospel and not be confrontational. And, what, and in doing that, we've actually undermined the gospel, and we've undermined a people's ability to repent and people's ability to actually be safe. I know that was a long rant, James, but I, just this morning I woke up and said, man, the solution for society is law. Like real law, lady justice returning, and the only place we can get that is God's word. Yeah, I mean it's it's it starts with the Ten Commandments, um, which is which is funny because the Ten Commandments gave good rules and laws for living. It didn't actually um, get the centralized power. It, it didn't it didn't appoint Moses as you know king of Israel. Right now, you know, God, obviously he's the leader, right? He's the, he's, the, he's, the, he's the one anointed and appointed by God to lead the Israelites, right? But they set up a judicial system. They did. So it's really interesting. The king was not a fantastic thing. You know, God warned the people that kings are going to be abusive. Yeah. But God established the judicial system. Yeah. 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 That's right. And, and, and yeah, remember when Moses is like, I got too many cases to judge. What do I do? And he goes to his father in law. Oh, well, you need to appoint some judges. That's like, yeah, I know. Uh, the, 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 the heritage of the justice system, I mean, I'm, I'm sure many people like, like our chief justice wouldn't, wouldn't, would be uncomfortable to talk about this, considering how woke he is. Uh, but, but the whole intellectual basis, the whole moral basis for our English judicial system is based in Scripture. It's based in Christian ideas, Christian morals, right? That's what undergirds 
the last 1,000 years of English Western history, whether we like to admit it or not. And that's, you know, the law is a very ancient, old tradition, and it goes all the way back to that, right? That's where our law comes from. And uh, that's, I mean, I, you know, what you could, obviously, I, I, you've got people who, who are, are of all different stripes and beliefs and aren't even Christians. And But, but I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, you can admit that the ideas and the morals of Christianity have been a good influence on improving and increasing uh, human flourishing, human freedom, right? Quality of life. How do we get the Western world where we have the best quality of life, both economically and in the sense of personal freedom? We get it from Christianity. It's our judicial system. It's our work ethic. It's our honesty. It's our decentralization of power, whatever. Whatever you look at, it all comes from that. You have to acknowledge that even if, you, even if you're not a Christian or you don't like Christianity, you have to acknowledge that intellectual heritage, right? And as we abandon that, right, there is nothing better to replace it with, of course. If you're being honest, again, you can admit that. And so what do we get? We get a less free society, a less prosperous society, a less equal society, a less good society, a less honest society. That's what we have. We have a post-Christian Canadian society. That means a society that is less good overall compared to what it used to be, right? And, and that's what you see going on. That's why you see the crumbling of personal freedom and, and the crumbling of equality around you in the last two and a half years where people are, are treated like dirt. They're kicked out of their job. They're kicked out of university, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is what you get in a society that has lost its intellectual uh, um, origins that made it good in the first place and it's lost its morals that made it good in the first place and now it's 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 wandering around trying to find something else but it's left the only good thing it ever had and so it's crumbling the further it walks away from that and people's lives are shattered as a result as they always are when society falls apart you can look at historical example after historical example well james it, there's a very easy link in the chain you and you you've you've spoken about the chain and how you know more authoritarian it leads to a, a society becomes leads to suffering, but here's a link in the chain that people just really need to see practically. If I'm at work and I know that there's no virtue in being honest, no virtue in um, uh, um, being an individual, and the people above me are only there to, you know, out of self-interest, are only going to promote a narrative of self-interest, are only going to um, uh, try to gain, you know, the, the way that Francis Christian said this, that they lose the soul of the thing. They, 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 if, if I know that the doctors at the top have lost the soul of medical, um, which is, or the soul of medicine, if if their only task is to retain power and to retain and motivate an ideology, well, then my motivation is different. I'm not there to necessarily make the company more profitable. I'm only there to get higher up because I have more freedom the higher up I get with the more consequences I can hold underneath those people who fear me what, what people don't realize in, in an authoritarian society the clamor for power becomes the all-consuming pursuit because without power you don't have life 
And so, you know, yeah, great. Everyone looks around at a capitalistic society. They're looking around at Canada and they go, yeah, like there's always been the, the battle for the top. You know, you, you always want to climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. But no, 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 no. In this case, being at the top and being able to say, if you say that, I'll fire you. If you say that, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to jail. If you do this, but then you get to turn around because you have all of that power. You get to do what you want. Everybody's going to clamor for that position and they're going to, you know, they're going to buy, cheat and steal to get there. And the consequences, you, you just completely remove the moral fabric of any institution, a school. Is my job to teach math? No, my job is to get to the head of the teaching department so that um, I, I'm not bothered. I can go into I can go into this lounge that no one else gets to go in and I get to take my mask off, right? That's what it, I, my, my goal is not today to teach math. I'm not a free math teacher going there under a good, clear conscience. And jo- you know, you go to that school in Oakville with the guy with the, the prosthetic breasts and it's just this big, vulgar, gross show. No, no, like that's not a free place. You know, there's only strategy to either get over top of that guy or not to be under that guy. But there's no personal, hey, I'm going to put my job on the line and tell you that you need the Lord Jesus. You're not a girl. And, you, you know, like James, there's a real connection between the lack of freedom and then the clamoring for power. You touch on something really significant um, that, that is a real um, cultural feature of, of Canadian society right now. <clears throat> I've, I've had hundreds of clients um, over the last two and a half years. Um, and there's some trends I can pull from that. Uh, one of them that's relevant to what you just said is that 98% of them were people in lower positions of power. Okay. Um, so they're usually at the mercy of others. They're not, they're not the big decision makers. They're, they're, they're just the regular everyday people, right? They just happen to be, they happen to have developed an extra dose of, of honesty and integrity and courage. Okay. And they're the ones that have said, no, I've had, I've had very few, I could probably count on one hand, the number of clients I've had who were in a position of power over others who, who were calling me because they were trying to do what's right for themselves and for the people that were under them. I've, I've noticed this, this huge disparity from the very beginning. And I think, I think maybe the greatest explanation for that, although probably not the only one, is what you just said. And the reality is, and I know it's sad, the reality is, is that it's, it's typically, maybe they start out moral and principled. But the people who reach the positions of power, they either start out as someone who doesn't care about any of those things because all they care about is power and money and influence. Or through, somehow through the process, they, they lose their soul. And they end up arriving at the position where all they care about is power, money, and influence. Those are the people who rise to the top ruthlessly. And those are the people who are running the show. So if if you're wondering, I mean, I'm sure some people are wondering, why is it? I mean, there's obviously some people with honesty and integrity and courage, Mr. Kitchen, Michael, there's these people, right? We know them. You guys are them. We, some of my friends and family are them. I know them. I go to church with them. They exist. There's lots of them. Yeah. But you ever noticed how none of them are the people in charge of things? Or maybe few, very few of them are, right? And so that's how, that's why after two and a half years of, you know, there's a lot, I mean, there's, you know, what, two, three, four million Canadians that, uh, you know, are awake and care about this and are speaking the truth, right? Um, so that's not a small number. 
but 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 they are the regular people that don't hold much power, right? And and they're wondering why are all of these people in power? Like 99% of them just you know towing the party line, going with the narrative, ignoring the truth. Uh, why are they? Why is nobody helping us? Why is nobody doing what's right? Why is how is this how is this happening? And I think culturally, you you hit on a big part of it. Is that the reality is is that you know either because they started that way or they were that way when they got to that position of power, they don't actually have morals and, and integrity and honesty and courage and and caring about doing what's right. It's power, money, and influence. That's what's driving them. Right. And if that's what's driving you, you will. Yeah, you will go wherever the stream goes to get that, to follow that, to maintain that. Right. And you you will, you know, just just you, you'll 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 blind yourself to the suffering in individual lives that you were causing because, hey, that doesn't really matter to me. That's not me. Right. And I think culturally, that's how we get here. And the connection I wanted to make is that you're turning your blind eye to the suffering while you're going to your own private uh, viewing of the movie and the function and everybody's wink winking and you get to be free. Like it, 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 yeah. it's only the rule of law that keeps the lower people free. The, the people who arise to the rise to these ranks, they're doing whatever they want. It's the same thing, like in question period, right? Pierre Polyev can ask Justin Trudeau, how is it that your carbon tax is consistent with you using a private jet's private jet X amount of time? Like that's a clear example. You know, the fact that Trudeau happens to like the mask and wears it wherever he feels like it's a really good virtue signal. In reality, when he's going off to those private functions on his jet, they're all playing. They're all free. They're doing whatever they want. They've got the power. And it's only the rule of law that holds them accountable. That mm. is why, folks, Christians, we can no longer be – look, it's so what? So what if you're a little bit more controversial? Be the kindest, gentlest sword you can be, you know? Be the most fluffy, big old stick you can be. The stick with the law that confronts people of sin. And then, of course, the, the beauty of the stick pushing us towards our great Savior who saves us from our sin. But don't be confused. Canadians, you can't have the gospel without law. And you can't have your society without having law. Okay, James, I want to I want to close things up. Uh, with with a financial appeal, everybody now has just turned off the podcast because they don't want to hear this, but it's really important. I was watching Fox News last night, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? We do on our little podcast the same amount of work to bring accurate information to people than those guys have to do at Fox News. Yeah, they've got a production studio. Yeah, it looks really professional. But at the end of the day, there are a bunch of people running around trying to do their, you know, maybe they are, I assume they are, trying to do their best to present a story and to present it accurately and then to comment on it. And that's what we're doing here. But then we at Liberty Coalition Canada, we go further and we have you, James, pick a number of cases strategically and say, okay, these are the ones that we have to get involved with. Number one, because these are people in need. Number two, because this is strategic for attacking the points of power that are really problematic. And so folks, in, in, in all that comment, 
last year leading up to Christmas, we looked to raise $180,000 uh, to come to Christmas. This year, with the growth of our staff, with the growth in cases, with the growth in um, our podcast platform, uh, with bringing on people who are just working administratively, we need to raise $300,000 for the coming year. And that helps everybody. That helps me. That helps James. That helps uh, Matthew, our podcast producer. That helps Andrew Divartolo, our, our podcaster. That, that helps Nicole, who is our administrator in the, in the background. You know, that helps the, our team um, really move forward and keep bringing you content and legal cases. And so, folks, would you please, this is one example, having Aiden on, us representing five students is one example. Uh, James and I taking this hour is another example of long form discussion that allows you to go, oh, I have a lot of clarity on that. And I know I get to be the, the dumb guy all the time asking questions and kind of commenting through. I'm, I'm doing that for you so that we can have uh, simpleton, normal, average Canadian questions answered. And having guys on regularly like James helps us dig into the details. So folks, we're asking you, you know, we've seen uh, donations decline throughout the summer, which is fairly typical in Canada. Now we need to hit that typical giving time in Canada leading up to December where we hit $300,000 by the end of this year. So would you please partner with us? Uh, James, can you just describe a, just a, a few of the other things you're working on so people get a really good understanding of what you're doing, a part of Liberty Coalition Canada? Sure. So, I mean, obviously I have, I have, a, I have a pretty uh, big private practice, but um, through Liberty Coalition Canada, I'm, I'm doing as much as I can. And um, that's, um, that's a number of different... Um, I guess mostly COVID cases, unfortunately, because that that is that that is the greatest source of tyranny in our society. So we so we kind of we can't ignore that. We have we have to engage that right. Um, and uh, so I'm, I have a case with a healthcare worker that was fired um, uh, by a hospital. Um, similar idea to this. You know, she's a Christian. She said, "I can't take this thing. Um, please accommodate me." Uh, very egregious case. They they they, they treated her very poorly. Um, really put her through the ringer. And, and turfed her. She was there for 18 years, loved her job, uh, good at it. It filled a very important position. Patients needed her. Um, the hospital wasn't able to, to, to provide those services after firing her. People people lost out on the good service she offered. Um, so I'm suing the hospital over that. Um, you know, going back to the professional thing, right? I, we have the Dr. Wall case. It's probably the case that's gotten the most airtime uh, here. Um, and, you know, that involves a college persecuting a Christian man for, for not wearing a mask. Um, even though obviously masks don't work and are dangerous, um, similar idea to the vaccines, um, and that's going to going to challenging. You know the, the fact that these colleges have way too much power, and and it's all about you know ideology and administrative control. It's not about good clinical judgment. Um, and then we got this human rights challenge against Western. We have another human rights challenge that goes back to last year against University of Guelph and a young Christian man there. Um, same similar idea. Um, and then, um, you know, we're, we're always looking for how else can we, can we help people? Can we, can we advance and defend religious freedom and free speech and hold government accountable? Um, those are the cases I have right now, but I have others that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm batting around and I'd love to see 
Liberty Coalition Canada take. Um, but of course, it, it, you know, it does partly come down to budget. Um, we, we, we can do a lot uh, with a small amount of money. We have over the last year and a half, I would say. Um, you know, $300,000, is, is, it's, it's funny because, I mean, it sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually not. If a lot of people give small amounts, we can reach that easily. Um, and it's not an enormous budget, but I'll tell you, you can do a lot with that kind of money. Uh, we can we can do a lot. You know, I'm not charging eight hundred dollars an hour. I'm not I'm not charging market rates like a typical lawyer. So, um, you know, it's amazing what we can do with a little bit of money. Um, and that's what I encourage people to, you know, maybe they're donating other places, too. I consider I, 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 I ask them to consider um, including us or maybe even giving more to us, especially if, if they're a Christian. I mean, one thing it's wonderful that we have these advocacy organizations in the country. We don't have nearly enough. It's good that we have lots. It's good that we have more Liberty Coalition Canada. Liberty Coalition Canada is the only explicitly Christian one. Okay, there's a lot of good Christian men and women that advance the cause of freedom in secular um, institute or, or organizations, and that's 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 great. Okay, uh, Justice Center, Democracy Fund, example are examples, obviously, right? But we're the only explicitly Christian one. Okay, we're the only ones that we actually come on and we actually talk about this stuff and we we defend this stuff. Right. Um, there's similar examples in, in the states like like Alliance Defending Freedom and Liberty Council, explicitly Christian. We're the only ones in Canada. Brand new thing that we've done here. And so I ask you as Christians, consider donating to, to us, um, you know, equal to or above the, the other ones that, that yeah, they're advancing the cause of freedom. But look, they're not explicitly Christian. We're, we're explicitly Christians. Why taking these Christian Western students? Right. I want to talk. I want to attack the vaccine mandate, but I also want to help Christians to live out their beliefs in freedom which should be happening in a free and equal society. And I'm really, really honored actually to be able to do that in Canada as the Americans have been doing for decades. It hasn't really been happening in Canada. That's, that's like the, one, I think one of the biggest things about who we are, what we're trying to do. And so we need, um, I'd say churches too, not just individual Christians to partner with us and come in and make this happen. I mean, if this, if this, if, if you support us, it won't just be more cases we can take. We can turn this into something that has a, uh, long-term strategy, long-term accomplishments, right? We can bring on other lawyers. We can bring on other staff. We can accomplish more things, more good. And, um, I, I, you know, I really believe in that. And I, I hope others can see that, that I believe in that. And Michael, you obviously believe in it. And uh, they, they can give us a chance and um, give us the resources we need to make it happen. So everybody, I just want you to know that we have a great staff. Uh, we're considering bringing on a young uh, female lawyer podcaster. So someone who just comes in and is, is uh, commenting on a short podcast that would just bring in, a, you know, a, another voice. Um, we've expanded our team to have, we have four shows now. We have Liberty Dispatch and, and Matthew and Andrew run the dispatch we have uh, liberty lounge with tim tyso and, and tim's running that show we have my show so um in the background we have people who are working to to advocate to actually implement plans and we we do that as an as an organization that just uh helps christians think and organize you know when the writ is not dropped and and so we do that we we we, we haven't become a third uh, um, a, a third party advertiser or we haven't become a super pack or anything like that we move in this direction so we're doing advocacy we're doing analysis and we're doing legal representation and all of those things are growing and we really need you to help us uh in the next year reach this three hundred thousand dollar goal that's coming up James, I want you to know that I get really excited when you and I get to talk because we're doing this 
with our faith integrated. We're leading by example to say you don't have to always throw your faith out at the door or or pretend like you're throwing it out at the door. You can be consistent, and in fact, that's what we what that's what we need is consistency. It's, I think they used to call it integrity, but now you know, you know give it whichever label you need. So it's exciting work that we're doing, folks. Please join us on that. James, thanks for being on the show. And of course, I think we're going to be talking a lot in the next two weeks as we track with these five Western students uh, who have been denied religious exemptions. James, thanks for coming on. Godspeed to you and your work this week. Thank you.